You are listening to the Parkview Church Podcast. To learn more about Parkview Church, including our gathering times in Palm Coast, Florida, visit us online at parkviewlife.com. All right, well, let's go ahead and have a seat, and we're going to open up our Bibles to Exodus chapter number 14 is where we'll be tonight, Exodus chapter number 14. Uh, we, um, I'm uh, Dan Proctor covering for Greg Peters while he's on sabbatical, and this is my fifth week in a row. I cannot believe I've been here five weeks in a row, but I have, and it's been great to be with you. Uh, thank you guys so much for your faithfulness while your pastor is getting some much-needed R&R, and uh, so we're going to, they said, Dan, we're, we're in Exodus in the summers. I said, okay, so we hopped in there in chapter 7, and uh, we've been through the plagues, we've been through the Passover. Last week, we saw Israel getting ready to leave the slavery of Egypt, and now we come to chapter 14, and so watch this quick one-minute video, and it'll kind of bring you up to date here, and then we'll dive right in. Pharaoh, because of his pride and rebellion, he loses his own son, and he's compelled to finally let the Israelites go free. And so the Israelite slaves make their exodus from Egypt, but no sooner do they leave that Pharaoh changes his mind, and he gathers his army and chases after the Israelites for a final showdown. As the Israelites pass through the waters of the sea safely, Pharaoh charges towards his own destruction. The Exodus story concludes with the first song of praise in the Bible. It's called the Song of the Sea. And the final line declares that the Lord reigns as king. And then the song retells in poetry what the story of God's kingdom is all about. It's about how God is on a mission to confront evil in his world and to redeem those who are enslaved to evil. God is going to bring his people into the promised land where his divine presence will live among them. This story is what it looks like when God becomes king over his people. All right, so that's where we're at uh, tonight, Exodus 14. Uh, And so we're going to look at the day when Israel finally gets to leave Egypt. And so they leave, and immediately they encounter some severe problems. Welcome to life. Amen? Um, It's like, you know, you exit one problem. Uh, slavery, and now we're going to enter another one here. We've got the Red Sea. And so, you know, Job made the comment. Job said in the book of Job, he said that a person that is born of a woman, he said they are a few days and full of trouble. And I wonder how many of you were born of a woman? Raise your hand if you were. Uh, then that means that we're going to have uh, some great times in this life. And that means that we're also going to have some tough, tough moments. So grab your Bible or your device, go to Exodus 14, and let's begin reading in verse 1 and see what happens, okay? It says, tell the, uh, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihaharoth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. That's the Red Sea, by the way. And then, verse 3, it says, For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So I want you to try and imagine how these people felt. They finally leave the slavery of Egypt, 
And now they've got King Pharaoh chasing them. Quick apologetics issue. Uh, you know, there are people that say this isn't fair. God hardens Pharaoh's heart, and then he punishes him for what he does. And they're like, see there, you know, the Bible's a joke and God's a joke. Well, you know, again, everything has a context, and it's not as simple as that. I want you to remember that before the plagues ever happened, Pharaoh had already shown great contempt for God. Pharaoh had already hardened his own heart. He was a God-rejecting man before it ever mentions God hardening his heart. He boasted, he said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Well, the best way for him and the Egyptians to know who the true God was, was for God to temporarily harden Pharaoh's heart in regards to letting Israel go. It's important to note that God did not harden Pharaoh's heart in regards to salvation. He, re he hardened his heart in regards to the matter of letting Israel go because he wanted there to be the showdown between him and the gods of Egypt so that he could demonstrate to them who the true God was. And it's also important to note that as we look at the whole of Scripture, we see that Pharaoh could have changed his mind. Pharaoh uh, could have turned to God at any point, and uh, he, he could have definitely... You know, you, Jeremiah 18 is an interesting passage that talks about how that even after God has pronounced evil upon a nation or a people group or upon a person, if they will turn to God, repent of their evil, that God will actually change his mind in regards to the judgment that he has pronounced on them already. Uh, Nineveh, the city of Nineveh, was a great uh, example of that. So, so Pharaoh... Uh, is the worst character in the Bible up to this point. And you look at the nation of Israel who's been in slavery, and you think about it. You think, okay, they've been through the stress. They've been through the abuse of slavery. And then they went through the drama of the ten plagues. Then they had to leave the only home they've ever known, which was Egypt. And now God has basically led them uh, to where they are backed into a corner with no escape. Uh, to paraphrase here verses 5 through 9 for time's sake is that when Pharaoh receives word of the direction that Israel went basically to the Red Sea and to the wilderness that when he saw when he heard that he's thinking in his mind wow man they are a bunch of idiots they they have basically now they're sitting ducks they got nowhere to go they are trapped and so he changes his mind again and his officers all change their mind, and they're like, let's go get him. Okay, yeah, let's go get him. And so the Bible says he gets 600 of their best chariots. He takes his whole army. He takes a bunch of other chariots, and they go chasing after Israel. And I mean, they, the Israel looks back, right? They're at the, they got the Red Sea in front of them, no way to cross it. They look behind their shoulder, and off in the distance, they see Pharaoh. And I mean, he is coming, buddy. He is breathing down their necks. And he's coming after them. And, uh, and, and he's in hot pursuit, you know. Uh, how many of you remember Roscoe P. Coltrane when he was in hot pursuit? Remember him? You know? You ever watch the Dukes of Hazzard? <laughs> I 
I'm in hot pursuit. Cuckoo, cuckoo, you know. I used to love Roscoe P. Coltrane, you know. And so when I'm with the grandkids now, I go, cuckoo, cuckoo, and they don't know I'm doing Roscoe, you know. But he's in hot pursuit. Cuckoo. And he's coming after them, right? And all they can see is this massive body of water. They got no way to cross it. There, there's no escaping. They can't go forward, right? There's the Red Sea. They can't go backward because Pharaoh's coming at them. So it looked hopeless, and they seemed doomed. They seemed like best-case scenario is going to be that they get to live and go back and be slaves. Worst case is it's going to be a bloodbath here. It's going to be their blood, and, uh, and they're going to all die. So my question is this morning, and this is kind of what I want to focus on, is why the trauma of this Red Sea experience? You know, I mean, we, we know the end of the story. They didn't. We know God's going to part the Red Sea. Israel's going to go across on dry ground. We know Pharaoh's going to chase him. He's going to go into the Red Sea, and it's going to close back on them. And they're going to be drowned, Pharaoh and his army, so that Israel doesn't ever have to worry or be looking over their shoulder again to wonder if they're coming. But why did God bring them into such a stressful situation? I mean, Israel could have gone a different way. And they could have been to their new land in probably 40 days. So why not the shorter, easier, more direct route? You know, why, why the drama here? Why the Red Sea? Why the wilderness that they're going to end up in for years? Now, obviously, there are times in our life when we encounter problems, and it's our own choices that led us into it. We can't blame God. We can't blame our spouse. can't blame anybody but ourselves. It was our own bad choices. But then there are other times when our heart is like so right, so in the right place, and we truly love Jesus, and we want to please Jesus, and yet it just seems like God kind of leads us to a brick wall, and we're faced with so many Red Sea types of obstacles and tragedies and catastrophes, and life kind of falls apart at the seams around us. Uh, last night we were with our family, and one of my sons was saying that he had talked to a business owner this week in Daytona, and this business owner, to his surprise, because it looked like a successful business, this business owner was telling him how that, you know, that, that he's going to lose his business. He's probably going to have to file bankruptcy. He said, not, not to mention, I've lost custody. I'm losing custody of my kids. He said, and on top of that, he was just dealing with major guilt about past decisions that he had made regarding family and just trying to, to work through all the guilt of that. And, and that is so true so many times. You know, we feel like that our life's just kind of like falling apart. And I, I really think that, you know, we need to speak into this because we encounter this stuff as believers in Jesus. And sometimes believers in Christ, Christians, are prone to question God. And to, I think our trust in God is undermined. And... A lot of times, situations can throw believers into a tailspin, and actually, I mean, like, to the point where, you know, believers quit following Jesus, and they are like, you know, a devastating event has caused them to, like, rethink everything, and, and it's like, okay, they question everything about God, uh, about, about their trust in Jesus, about the Bible, 
And a lot of times these events can can do that in in our lives. And so I want to unpack this text and I want us to see the value of these Red Sea times in our lives. And hopefully where they won't destroy us, which could have happened here. Uh, Israel could have easily ended back uh, up in slavery and bondage. So what's God up to? Why, why doesn't God just answer every prayer, take us the easy, most direct route? Why the Red Sea route? Why does God do this? So I want to give you a few thoughts here from this text uh, this evening. And the first one is this. The Red Sea route protected them from destruction. You see, God sees everything, and we don't. Now, we like to play God sometimes, but we really don't do a very good job of it because God sees the big picture, and, and we don't. And we kind of touched on this a little bit last week in chapter 13 when we learned that had God taken Israel the shortest and most direct route, they would have never reached their desired destination. Yes, on paper... On Google Maps, it, it looked quicker to go this way. But how many of you are like me and you've been burned by Google Maps before, huh? You ever been burned by Google Maps? I have. Google Maps has led me into some sketchy areas. Google Maps has led me into some really bad situations. And I found out this, Google Maps is not all-knowing, amen? <laughs> The, the, the quickest way, Google Maps tells you is the quickest way, is not always the best way, let me tell you. And so, Google Maps tells Israel, go this way. And God says, no, I, no, go this way. The Red Sea route. And so, here we go, right? Had they followed Google Maps... Instead of God's directions, we find out in chapter 13 they never would have gotten there because God said, and he reveals to us, that the quick route, it, it was dangerous because there were all kinds of nations that they'd have to pass through their land that were more adept and sophisticated at war. And so they would have either been destroyed in war had they gone the Google Maps way, or uh, they would have you know, seen what was going to happen and they'd have gotten scared, they'd have turned tail, and they'd have run back to Egypt, back into bondage and back into slavery. And so you may feel like that you're facing a Red Sea of your own right now, and you can't help but question God. You just see this massive, you know, brick wall, and you think, what in the world is God doing? Well, Israel questioned God too. Look at verse 10. It says, when Pharaoh drew near the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness uh, what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt is this not what we said to you in Egypt leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. 
they are questioning everything right they're questioning God they're questioning Moses they're questioning this whole salvation thing of deliverance uh, from from Egypt and from slavery they are questioning the whole nine yards which I told you happens many times to Christians and but what I want you to remember and we're going to see this in just a moment when you're facing a Red Sea I want you to remember something God is for you and he's not against you that's a really good place to say amen right there God is for you not against you you got to remember that you and God are on the same side he's not fighting against you and I I think we need to remember this story that that sometimes we are mentally emotionally and spiritually unprepared for what awaits us on the easy route so God takes us off road The quick route may destroy you. Google Maps may lead you right off a cliff. So stick with God. Stick with God. When you're facing your own Red Sea, will you be like Moses? Will you trust God? Will you move forward? How, how would Moses respond to these people, right? He's 80 years old. He's got this group of people he's responsible for. They're all saying, let's just surrender. Let's just go back to Egypt. What's Moses going to do as the leader? Okay, if you guys want to go back, then if that's what everybody wants to do, then I guess that's what we'll do. You know, because, I mean, I just want to please the people, and, and you know, I've got to make sure that I do what the people want us to do. And so if you guys want to give yourselves up to Pharaoh, and if you go want to go back to Egypt, then I guess that's what we'll do. That's what a lot of leaders do. They're like politicians. Right? Whatever the people want to do, so I guess we'll do. I read something. It said, uh, what was it? It said, politicians are, are like diapers. They need to be changed often <laughs> for the same reason. I'm teasing. I, I got friends that are politicians, and they're good guys. So I'm, I'm not picking on anybody. If you're a politician, please don't get mad at me, all right? But uh, no, I mean, honestly, there's a lot of leaders that just really shouldn't be leaders. They're pansy leaders, you know? And I love Moses, though, man. This is like one of those great leadership moments. Look at, look at verse 13. Great leadership moment. Look at this. In verse 13, how does he respond to these people? Moses said to the people, Fear not! Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. <laughs> Let me paraphrase. Close your mouth, open your eyes, and watch God at work. Because you got a front row seat to see something that nobody has ever seen before. And you are going to be talking about this the rest of your life. So don't you dare move a muscle. Don't you dare go back to Egypt. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Woo! Great leadership moment. Amen. 
Love it. Love that. Love that. Mm. I just want to park there the rest of the night, but we can't do that, all right? We got to keep moving. Are you facing your own Red Sea? Don't let go of God. Hold fast to Jesus. Be like Moses and say, you know what? God's got this. God's got this. And you know what? This Red Sea that I'm in right now, this Red Sea route God's got me on, He's taking me off-road, you know what? This may be protecting me from something even more harmful in my life. He may be protecting me from destruction in my life. The second thing we see is that the Red Sea route created great opportunities. You know, even though God loved his people Israel, and even though he was leading them out of the slavery of Egypt, God was also concerned about the spiritual condition of the Egyptians. He cared for them. He loved them too. And the Pharaoh, think about this. Pharaoh and all of his army and officers, they marched off to war that day. They left Egypt with great fanfare. We're bringing them back. We're bringing back the slaves. And they marched off. They never came home. They never came up. Nobody ever saw them again. They never came home. What a testimony to that entire nation of people, the Egyptian people. The place of deliverance for Israel, the Red Sea, would be the place of death for Pharaoh and his army. They would drown in the Red Sea. Why did God do that? God had a reason. Look at chapter 14, verse 4. It says there, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. Look at this. And the Egyptian shall know that I am the Lord. Look at verse 17. He says, And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, talk about the army, so that they shall go in after them into the Red Sea, and I'll get glory over Pharaoh, all his hosts, his chariots, his horsemen. Verse 18, And the Egyptians, talk about the people back home, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Why is God so concerned about the Egyptians? Because he loved them. They were created in his image. God wanted a relationship with them too. And as we said, the Egyptian culture had been in darkness for years, worshiping false gods. Think about this. Had Pharaoh marched back into Egypt that day with all these Israelites basically on a rope and he's leading them back into slavery, the Egyptians would have been, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have believed in the true God. They'd have been like, well, I guess all those plagues were coincidences because at the end of the day, their God could not deliver them from Pharaoh and from slavery. So I guess all that other stuff was just coincidences. Had God not drowned Pharaoh and his armies, and had Israel gotten away, Israel would always be having to look over their shoulder, and Pharaoh would have gone back to Egypt and, of course, just lied about it and said, oh, we just slaughtered them, we killed them all. So the way God did it was so smart because it was a complete testimony to the Egyptians of who the true God was. But this Red Sea experience... It'd be kind of like the, the last chapter in the book for the Egyptian people. This kind of closed the book for the Egyptians. Of course, it just was starting the book for Israel, but it kind of closed the book on all this for the Egyptians. 
But now they could know who the true God is. They could seek Him, embrace Him, love Him. And I'm sure many did. Be interesting. We don't know. But it'd be kind of interesting to know the impact that all this had on the Egyptian culture for years after this. I'm sure it was pretty... I'm sure it was it was pretty uh, amazing the impact that it had. But here's my point: God has you maybe taking a Red Sea type of route, so that other people around you can know the true God, or maybe know the Savior Jesus. And your Red Sea has the power to be a very powerful testimony to others. The way you handle it, the way you deal with it. And there could be great opportunity that comes out of your Red Sea trial. You know, many ministries begin this way. Many great ministries were birthed in a Red Sea type of experience. I, I know back um, in at my church where I pastored, we had a couple that were actually here a few weeks ago. They came up to hear me preach and we had gotten them into the church and they had trusted Christ and just really began to grow and uh, this couple uh, you know years after they had known the Lord they went through a tragedy their 40 year old son who was just a just a strong big strapping guy uh, been in the military been overseas you know fighting for our country he got cancer and, and he died. And they were devastated. But out of that Red Sea experience was birthed an amazing ministry at our church that they led for years, helping hundreds and hundreds of people to be able to process and deal with the grief of losing a loved one. And they headed that up, like I said, for years and years and years. And so many times, great opportunities will come out of that Red Sea route, that Red Sea experience. So what have we learned so far? Well, we've learned that the Red Sea route may protect us from destruction. The Red Sea route may create great opportunities. But number three, the Red Sea route can deepen our understanding and our trust of God. You know... If you're a Jesus follower, and, and how many of you would say, I am a Jesus follower? Say amen if you are, huh? Okay. The entire foundation of your relationship with Jesus is built on trust. And that makes sense, and that meshes with our everyday experience. Marriages are built on trust. Friendships are built on trust. Parent-child relationships are built on trust. And when that trust is weak, or if that trust is non-existent, Obviously, the relationship's going to struggle until that trust is back. Well, every single day, we're faced with decisions. And Jesus said that, I, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he put his spirit inside of us to help us make good decisions, but the trust has to be there. And when we talk about faith, we're talking about trust. There's nothing mystical or spooky about faith. So don't let people... 
make you feel like you're some kind of like idiot or that you're non-cerebral because you're all oh, you're just a person of faith <laughs> you're just a person of faith yeah and make you feel stupid no every single day people exercise faith every day people put trust in something listen People put trust every day in their doctor or in their attorney or in the cashier. Think about it. You give your credit card to some girl you don't know at a restaurant, and she disappears with it. You know? I mean, think about the trust we exercise every day. You go in and to the pharmacy. You trust the pharmacist that he put the right pills in the bottle. You trust the driver that's coming on the other side of the road and he's this far away from you and he's coming at you and yet you trust he's not going to come over into your lane every single day we exercise faith faith is simply trust if I say I have faith in you that you will be there at 6 p.m. like you said I have faith that you'll be there well my faith is, is built on my trust of you there's nothing spooky that's not a blind shot in the dark. That's not a blind leap in the dark. No, my, my faith is built on my trust of you and what you say. And that's based on my prior history with you. And the more, we've been the more that we've been through together, and the more I've seen you in pressure situations, and the more I've seen you come through during crunch time, the more I'm going to trust you in the little everyday things. Well, the same is true in our relationship with Jesus. God brought Israel to the Red Sea, and he was there for them. He brought them through so that there could be no doubt who their God was, no doubt that they could trust him. I want you to notice how this story starts. Look at verse number 10. Notice how it starts, all right? It says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. This is not a good fear. This is a bad fear. This is a faithless panic type of fear. But I want you to look at the end of the chapter and, and notice a different kind of fear. Look at verse 30. It says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This is a good kind of fear. This is a, this is a firm trust in God. So they started out over here with bad fear. They ended over here with a good fear and a good trust in God. So what was in between the bad fear and the good fear? Look at verse 21. It says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. What was in between the panicky fear and the good fear and trust in God? Well, what was in between was the Red Sea. The Red Sea was in between. And now that they've been through this Red Sea experience, they could know these Egyptians who enslaved us are forever gone, and we are totally free now to worship and serve our God. And God sometimes brings us through these Red Sea times so that we can see God's power and see His might, and that it can deepen our understanding and our trust in Jesus. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
And sometimes we know Jesus and we know the truth intellectually. But we don't really trust him with our heart and with our decision making. We don't trust him enough to really do what he says. So we hit the self-destruct button and we end up making bad decisions. So that's why sometimes God won't take us the quick and easy route that the, the, what, what Google Maps says. No, he takes us off road. He takes us the Red Sea route. Because we don't always see God in the quick and easy route. And we don't learn much about him. But when we go the Red Sea route, oh my, what we, what we know, what we understand, and, and we, we trust him in such a deeper way. By the way, same concept with our kids, right? We do that with our kids. We don't always let them take the easy route. How many of you ever, how many of you were parents and you wanted your kids to learn a work ethic? Raise your hand. How many of you wanted your kids to learn a work ethic? I did. And so you say, hey, I want to teach you a work ethic. I want you to go out and I want you to mow the grass. I want all the grass mowed. Now, just because your kid has 25 bucks in his drawer from his birthday, you're going to let him pay somebody to do it? <laughs> no. You're going to be like, no, you're going to do it. I want you to do it. If they, if they got a math problem and they're trying to work it out for school and they're supposed to work it out and they're like, dad, just give me a calculator. I can have the answer in seconds. You're going to be like, no, I'm not going to give you a calculator. I'm not going to let you Google this. No, I want you to work out the math problem so that you can understand the math concepts and the way it all works. No, you're not going to take the easy route. You're going to take the long route. If you've got, it takes you an hour, you're going to sit there and you're going to work through that math problem. If your kid has to write a paper for school, you know, are you going to write it for them? <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I did that a time or two. You know, no, I hope not. You want them to learn how to do it. You're like, no, I'm not going to do it. You're, and then, of course, today, artificial intelligence. You're just going to let them let artificial intelligence write the paper for them? No, you, you want them to learn how to do it. So God does the same with his kids. Same thing we do with our kids. He takes us the Red Sea route rather than the quick and easy route to teach us and to build our trust in him. The last thing is this. The Red Sea route can close the door to the past. I want to read for you a few verses. Go to verse 26. And uh, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea. This is after they've all walked through. Stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea the waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. When the Red Sea came back down, do you know what that meant? That didn't just mean Pharaoh was dead. When the Red Sea came back down that next morning, that meant there was no going back. They had no way to go back across it. The, they could only move forward at that point. Had they gone the quick and easy route, the Google Maps route, they could have seen war or seen some other difficulty and they could have turned around and they could have gone back to Egypt. God wanted his children to know there's no turning back. 
And with the Red Sea closing, it now sealed off the Israelites' route back to Egypt. It closed a door to their past, which is a good thing. And sometimes God takes us through a Red Sea to close a door that needs closing. And it's closed and it's locked. There's no going back. And those experiences are scary and painful. I, I mean, to be truthful, they are. But they're so necessary. You know, one of the worst mistakes that people make is to try and return to the past and live in the past. Bad mistake. Or people continue doing something that really needs to be in the past. And you know, we were not created by God to live in the past. We weren't. I, I mean, to me, it's part of our DNA not to live in the past. People still do it, and it's a big mistake, but it's really not part of our DNA. In fact, I was thinking about this. I thought, you know, why is it that we always want to take all these pictures all the time of, of stuff, and we never go back and look at the pictures? <laughs> You ever think about that? I mean, how often do you go back and look at pictures from 30 years ago? Be honest. How often do you go back and look at pictures and videos from 20 years ago? You know, in the moment, it seems so important. We've got to get this picture. We've got to get video, right, of this. And how often do you really go back? How often do you go look at pictures from a year ago or five years ago? You know, I've wondered about that a lot. And I've kind of come to the conclusion that it's because... We were created to live in the present. Not that you're not ever going to look at a picture. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that as a whole, we were created to live in the present. You weren't created to look, you know, 10 hours a day at pictures from 30 years ago. You were created to live in the present and to look forward to the future and not to always be looking back. And the tendency, I think sometimes, is to do that, but it's very unhealthy. And so God sends us the Red Sea route, so there's no going back. And um, I know that for Denise, my Denise, I always have to say my Denise because Greg married a Denise too. People get all confused. They wonder, why is he talking about Greg's wife? I married a Denise too. I don't. I just. I don't know. I guess ten years from now, I'll still be having to say that. But you know, Denise and I, um, we resigned our position at our church that we were at. We've been there thirty-five years. You know, our whole adult life pretty much was there. And I had been feeling for some time that God had something else for us, something bigger for us, and. It really kind of took a Red Sea type of route for us to finally kind of pull the trigger, resign, and do what we felt like God was calling us to do. And we resigned, and when we finally resigned and made it public, it was kind of like the Red Sea coming back down again. It was like, okay, whew, we can move forward now. That's past. It was great, 30 great years, 35 great years, and it's great memories, but it's now past. We've got to look forward. 
And man, what a blessing it's been. If, if you saw, they had me do some 714s, those things they do in the morning, and they wanted me to do those this week. And so I, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So on Wednesday, uh, on my 714, if you, if you watch that, you know that God has led us now into a ministry of helping, encouraging, and coaching other pastors. And it has been such a tremendous blessing in our lives uh, it's one of the best things that's happened in our lives in years. And, you know, we wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here right now if I hadn't made that decision. Um, it's been such a blessing being with you guys. Uh, but we actually launched um, our website this week. Super excited. Uh, it's called helpforhurtingpastors.com. I hope you'll check that out. Uh, we have a YouTube channel that's Help for Hurting Pastors also. And,. We're just super, super excited about it. But, but it took God taking us a Red Sea type of route to get there. God knew what we needed to, to push us and to get us there. And so this evening, you may be here and you're facing some Red Sea battles, some Red Sea struggles, some Red Sea brick walls. Just remember these principles that we've learned from this chapter. That God led them the Red Sea. It wasn't the quick route. It wasn't the easy route. It isn't the route they probably would have chosen. But God led them that route. Because God was protecting them from destruction. God was creating great opportunities for these people. And God was deepening their understanding and their trust in him. And God was closing the door to the past, a door that needed to be closed. How many of you have noticed that life doesn't always follow our plans? <laughs> we plan out our life, and we think, okay, I'm going to finish college, get married, purchase a house, then have kids, make a lot of money, retire at 55, and live happily ever after. And usually there are a lot of Red Sea detours in there. Any of you senior citizens say amen to that, huh? Uh, there's a lot of detours. But today we learned why. When you come through a Red Sea and you see God work, you see God bring you through, what's the result? Well, the result is chapter 15. We don't have time to delve into that. But the first 21 verses, it was mentioned in the video, it's, it's called the Song of Moses. And it's like the first song in the Bible. And what basically it is, God parts the Red Sea. They go through the Red Sea on dry ground. They're on the banks now of the other side. The Red Sea closes back down, seals off the route back to Egypt. Pharaoh's dead and gone. They don't have to worry about him anymore. And buddy, I mean, they have a camp meeting right there on the shore. And I mean, they are, they are shouting and praising and singing and dancing. And I mean, they are just having themselves a, a, a praise celebration right there on the Red Sea shoreline. And that's what chapter 15 records. And this song basically tells in song what they learned about God through their Red Sea experience. And if you read it, here, here's what they, I'll summarize it. They learned that God has perfect character. There's nobody like him. 
The second thing is they learn that God can do what nobody else can do. And they learn that God always triumphs in the end. That song starts out by saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. And the song ends with, the Lord will reign forever and ever. God always triumphs in the end. And as they sing and they dance there on the seashore, you know what they said? <laughs> Verse 2, I love this. This should be the theme of our lives. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. They said, we just want to praise him, exalt him, and glorify him. And how many of you would agree that ought to be the theme of our lives? Amen. And that's what the Red Sea route, that's what it produced in their life. Would you bow your heads with me right now and let's pray. Let's give thanks to God. And let's right now just think about what we've heard tonight. And let's apply it to our lives. I don't know what you're facing. But, and maybe life is perfect right now for you. And that's awesome. But you'll probably encounter a Red Sea at some point. Maybe some of you right now are encountering a Red Sea of your own. You feel like you're in the middle of it. And you're scared. And you're fearful. I want you to take what you learned tonight here from Exodus 14 and just apply this to your life and trust God and be like Moses. Be like Moses when he said, no, 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 fear not. He said, stand still, stand firm and see the salvation of our God. Meditate upon what you've heard. Think about it. Would you voice your trust and your love for God right now in your heart to Him? Pray a prayer of faith and trust and say, God, I do trust you. If you're here tonight and you need to talk to someone or pray with someone, you need somebody to pray with you, we have a prayer corner over here to my left. You'll see that it's, it's clearly uh, identified. Please go over there and talk to someone if you need to tonight. There'll be people there waiting for you to help you if you need anything. We're so glad you came tonight. And before we go, I'd like to pray a special prayer of blessing on you. So would you stand to your feet and let's pray a final prayer right now of blessing. Lord, we love you and we thank you for bringing us together here tonight. God, thank you, Lord, for what you've taught us about these Red Sea experiences that we all go through. God, I pray that you will help us to be people that, that trust in God. We're not going to waver. We're going to be like Moses and we're going to say, hey, no, I'm, I'm going to stand firm. And uh, I'm going to trust in him. 
And so we love you, and I pray your blessing on each and every one that's come tonight. And I know many will probably stay, and they'll probably eat, and I just pray you'll bless the fellowship, the food, bless everyone that came tonight as they go their separate ways. Bless each one, keep them safe, and bring us back next weekend to be able to hear from your word once again. We love you, and we pray for uh, Pastor Greg. Keep him and Denise safe, protect them, and we do pray for them to come back safely to us. We love you so much, and we thank you for it all. Dismiss us with your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.